This is the Gridiron Wrap on 760 WJR with Sean Belegian and former Detroit Lions historian Bill Keenest. Presented by Hungry Howie's for all things football this weekend. Here's Sean and Bill. Well, a pleasant evening to you. So glad you can join us wherever you may be here on 760 WJR. Always a pleasure uh, to be with my pal Bill Keenest. And, and Bill, kickers have been front and center. I know we're going to talk yeah. about the Lions today. but well, Sean, Sean, before we get started, yes, I just got a memo that uh, – that Mike and the executives at JR thought it would be a better idea to have Bill Murray and Andy McDowell host the show tonight <laughs> after what happened to our Lions. I don't know if you got the memo or not, but I think a lot of Lion fans feel that way right now. Oh, it's so Groundhog Day. It just is. It's so Groundhog <laughs> yeah. Day. Uh, kickers, uh, just just as we're going on, Bill, I don't know if you've had this one on. The Browns and Chargers are yes. playing a wild, wild Classic. game. Classic game. And uh, a game that you were involved in earlier today saw the first three touchdowns. The kickers on both teams missed the extra points. Yeah, Uh, amazing. Yeah. The Chargers just New England and uh, Houston. Yep. The Chargers just score a touchdown. And Tristan Vizcaino misses the extra point. It's 42 41 Browns with about three minutes to go. But in yeah. your game, of course, we talked about it last week, Bill. You you are still involved in the National Football League. You did uh, a crazy one with New England and Houston. Kicking was a problem there. Kicking was right. certainly a problem in Cincinnati. Yeah. Fortunately, kicking wasn't a problem in Minnesota. No. I mean, um, you know, Lion fans, you know, so many of our listeners have flashbacks. Too, far too many. But um, – I went back to the game in 2016 because I, um, I'm sure that the Lions, after that two point conversion, ESPN does the percentage of victory. And I'm sure it was 98, 99%. Um, I went back to the game in 2016 when the Vikings scored with 23 seconds to go. I think what was, what was there today? 37 seconds. Yeah, I think uh, I think Minnesota had 37 seconds. So we we needed a field goal and we only had 23 seconds to go. And I believe at the time that was a record of the highest losing probability for a team that ended up winning the game because the Vikings back then were 99.9 percent assured of winning that game that Matthew Stafford does Matthew Stafford things and throws a 20, I think it was a 27 yard pass across the middle to Andre Roberts may have been his only catch of the game. Matt Prater comes out and it wasn't a 54 yarder. It was a 58 yarder. And then of course, Golden Tate scores the touchdown in the end zone, um, touchdown and dives into the end zone. Um, Much happier result than today's game which is just gut-wrenching for, for Lions fans. You know, it's interesting, Bill. The other game in 2016 was, of course, Thanksgiving. Yes. And yes. kicked two field goals in the last <laughs> minute 45 of the game to win. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've been on, you know, some, some positive sides of those, those games, especially with Prater, Jason Hansen before going back to Eddie Murray. But um, today's game, what a – I mean, what a gut punch 
And uh, I think there's a lot of positive response to um, Dan Campbell and the emotion he showed after the game. And when people say it's just the game, when people say it's just the game to the, you know, millions of high school kids playing on Friday night and losing a heartbreaker by a point, the college games yesterday, that may have been one of the greatest midseason Saturdays in our lifetime, Sean. I mean, some of those games just, and down to the second, often determined by kickers. It's not just the game, and it certainly isn't a game to these people in the NFL, the coaches, the players, the staff. I mean, I I liken it, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, just look at the, your profession, whatever, whatever you do for a living. Let's say you're a car dealer um, or a car salesman, and you have a car dealership that's only open eight times a year. That's it. You can only sell for eight days. Well, that's the NFL. I mean, not eight, 16, I'm sorry. Um, eight home games, eight, eight road games. Sure. But you only have 16 chances to win. Mm. That's it. Imagine if you can only sell for 16 days and you better win every one of those or the majority of them. And then if you do well, you might get a chance to be open an extra day or two. But for the for the people in the NFL, that was one of 16 or 17 this year. My bad got to get used to that but but <laughs> 17 opportunities there's no other profession like it maybe maybe the aeronautics and space program but um so it it's a it just tears your gut out and we've all seen it before too many times and i think that's the beauty of a guy like dan camel because he feels it it's genuine he means it and don't think for a minute that doesn't have the right impact on the players because at the end of the day everybody's human okay you hurt when you go through something like that boy I couldn't agree with you more Bill you have had a unique position especially in your time with the Lions where you get to be with these guys immediately after the game and I think one thing that sometimes fans and and media forget is exactly what you said these guys are human yeah. They're they're expected to go in front of a podium or go in front of the right. beat writers or whoever the case may be and yeah. be all professional when they're beat up. They know how yeah. much his team is putting in or this particular yeah. player is putting in and everything. Right. Uh, Bill, I, I've had my fun, as you well know, with a lot of things involving the team. Raw emotion, uh-uh. I get yeah. it. I'm totally yeah. down with that. I know that some people are going to have fun with uh, Coach Campbell if if right. they haven't already. Yeah, that's real. I don't have a problem with real, no. not at all. Well, I think the people that have fun with Dan after a, a game like this probably never played the game or don't understand the reality of it. And when you compete, I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, the uh, one of my favorite sayings. Uh, speeches is the man in the arena and it's about stepping into that arena um, and competing and win or lose those that never step into that arena don't know the heights of victory or the depths of defeat and um, I remember when my my sons were playing high school football and even even small college football and I would tell them the greatest thing about high school football is winning as a team and being on that bus ride or being in the locker room after the game. And you know what I thought for different reasons, um, you know what I thought the second greatest thing was losing as a team, being on that bus 
ride home from a devastating, heartbreaking loss because all you have is each other. And it doesn't change in college. It's it's a bigger stage. doesn't take changing the NFL. It's a bigger stage. But those guys feel the same way. And, yeah, I've seen a lot of tears in the locker room at every level, certainly in the NFL after games like that. Lions fall to 0-5. They lose, uh, again, last play of the game, long field goal. Uh, Bill, I I loved, loved the Groundhog Day uh, reset because that's exactly, you just sit at home and and your phone, you know, I don't, I don't know about, my phone just starts going crazy. You know, text, 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 you know, my son's in LA, one of my friends in Livonia, everybody's texting you saying, how can this keep happening? And unfortunately the Lions fall to 0-5, Cincinnati in town uh, next week, uh, October 17th, then LA and suddenly Philly's playing uh, a, a little they are. better football. So they are. Yeah. Nothing's easy in the national football. No. Bill, the one thing that I've learned over the years, and I, I think in particular, maybe the last decade, and you tell me if you agree or disagree, when you think you know what's going on in the NFL, no. just wait a few weeks. No. I mean, it's no. amazing how quickly yeah. fortunes can change in the yeah. National Football League. Yeah, and we've we've talked about it on the show. It It is the ultimate reality show. Yep. I mean, you, you can't script it. You cannot script it. And, um, I mean, everybody felt the Lions were going to win at the end of that after the, uh, the two-point conversion. Um, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's already been some talk about the prevent defense and this and that. When coaches call plays, they call them because they believe they're going to work. There's a logic to everything. And it comes down sometimes the, the opposition's getting paid to make a play, too. Yep. I mean, you got professionals, you got the highest level of athletes on the field and coaches don't call plays thinking they're not going to work. Coaches don't call a defense thinking they're not going to work. I was watching one of the afternoon games today and Charles Davis, who's an analyst, um, was talking about a, you know, a, a third and long play where the defense changed up, only rushed three played soft coverage and they made the play because they executed. So um, every, every play that's called every defense that's, that's played at, at that certain time in the game is done because the coaching staff, they practiced it and they feel it's the, it's the best strategy at that time. But there's 11 guys on the other side wearing a different uniform and uh, they call something that they think is going to work too. Yeah, no doubt about that. He is Bill Keenest. I'm Sean Belegian. So glad you can join us. A shout out to our uh, buddy Blake. It's always nice to be with Blake. He is our producer back at the WJR studios tonight. Uh, we're going to talk a little Lions. Talk about the Bengals a little bit because I think the Bengals have something good going on. And believe it or not, I think there's a kinship between Bengal <laughs> fans and Lion fans. We'll get into yep. that a little bit. Yeah, there bit may be. Or as, the Bengals well. and Sean Belation. Yeah, that too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. boy. Uh, that's uh, going back a few years. But, yeah, it uh, yeah you, 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 when you have enough, I think we've all been there before. He's no Bill Penis. I'm Sean Belation. So glad you can join us uh, right here on 760 WJR. It's another great football weekend, and whatever you missed, we've got you covered. The Gridiron Wrap on 760 WJR, presented by Hungry Howie's. Here's Sean Belegian and Bill Keenest. Well, nobody's ever going to confuse me, Bill, with a talent evaluator. Um, I watch a lot of college football, and so because I watch a lot of college football, 
somehow, some way in my warped thinking, I think I'm a pretty good talent evaluator. I didn't get the to-do about a guy by the name of Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert just keeps proving everybody wrong. Uh, There's something special going on with the Chargers right now. They just scored to take a 47-42 lead on the Browns. Yeah, that that young man. There were were some very uh, passionate advocates about him coming out in the draft. I mean, Tua was the name everybody knew about, obviously, from uh, Alabama. But um, football people that knew Herbert had had a high regard for him. And my goodness, I mean, that 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 guy plays like he's a 10-year veteran in, in the, the most difficult situations. And I'm sure the game today, I'm sure there's as many Brown fans there as there are Chargers fans. So it's not like he has a home-field advantage going for him because Cleveland – the Brown backers travel very well across the country. So, uh, that, that game, that's a that's a classic. Yeah. And Cleveland is going to get the ball back with one more chance to win the game. Yeah, just uh, we always like to let you know, just in case uh, you're you're interested. Chargers have a 47-42 lead with 53 seconds to go. Uh, the Cowboys look like they're going to improve to four yeah. and one. They've got a 34-20 lead. Cardinals looking to improve yeah. five and zero, oh, a seventeen right. to ten lead on the Niners, and yeah. uh, of course tonight should be a good one tonight. Bills and Chiefs, uh, of course. Bengals coming in uh, next week. Right. They had a tough loss today, but uh, Bill, you were down in Cincy a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I, I, I think they got something good going on in Cincy. I'm not saying yeah, it they, happens this year, but I think they got something good going on. Well, I was down uh, doing the, my NFL job for the Jacksonville Bengals game. So got to see the two young quarterbacks. And boy, are they impressive, both of them. I mean, Trevor Lawrence and um and uh and Burrow and and he led the Bengals on a last minute drive to set up the winning field goal and, and won it at the buzzer. And um I mean just the Moxie. I mean, it's a different game in, in this sense, Sean. Um these young quarterbacks, if they've had a few years in the system, they come out ready to play. Yep. It's not like it was, you know, a couple generations ago where the thought of a rookie starting, I mean, it just didn't happen. I mean, even even Aaron Rodgers, you know, one of the greatest ever, it took him a few years before he started. And um, But it's a different deal now. I mean, in many respects, the gap between the pro game and college game has shortened. And the, the pro game is more like the college game when it comes to offense, you know, in the in – the, you know, no huddle and shotgun and and RPO and and all all that you see going on today. So I think these young these young men are much more ready. And I I think I've shared this story with you, um, and we may have even talked about it. But I remember vividly Matthew Stafford's rookie year, and there was a pretty large sentiment, a pretty big contingent locally that felt oh, you can't play him as a rookie. And Dante Culpepper was the veteran backup or the veteran quarterback. And, uh, but there was a lot of, you know, sentiment in town, certainly amongst the media that you got to let him, you know, sort of be a, an intern here under, under Dante, blah, blah, blah. You don't want him to get shell shocked. That's what I heard so many times. You know, you don't want to ruin the kid, you know, he's going to get shell shocked. That I would, I would tell whoever would listen that I would laugh at that because, in a case of Matthew Stafford, and I'm sure it's applicable to all these young guns out there now, you know, they're starting probably as freshmen in high school, you know, probably leading their high school to a championship, um, probably doing the same in college at the biggest programs of 
football. You know, Matthew Stafford started a game as a true freshman in Georgia in the yeah. SEC yeah. before 80, 90,000 people at, at a much younger age. So the ability to handle those pressure situations are all different based on your life experiences up to that point. So I remember telling people, you know, Matthew's opening game was at New Orleans and, and Jim Schwartz had, had said all along, you know, Matthew will start when he's ready and he's ready. And he started that. And I, I never really asked Matthew this question, but as far as nerves and anxiety and, you know, whatever going into that game, I'm sure he had just as much and probably more as a freshman in high school yeah. and as a freshman at Georgia. Um, and, and you can look at a borough, you can look at these Herbert and Lawrence and say, wow, you know, just look in their eyes, how they have command of the huddle of the line of scrimmage. That's what I see in these young kids. And uh, the league's in great shape when it comes to to the quarterbacking position for years to come. Isn't it funny, Bill? Every every time you and I do this show, we, we have a conversation, and, and you just hit something in my head. And, you know, Blake is a big – our producer here is a big football fan. And I think sometimes a guy like Blake maybe hears guys like us talking about it. It really was a different game yeah. a generation or two ago. There yeah. were understudies. There were quarterbacks that sat on the bench for years. Yeah. Running back by committee, forget that. You knew right. Walter right. Payton was getting the right. ball 25 times. Yeah. You knew Billy Sims was getting the ball. Yeah. Tony Dorsett, Franco Harris. They, right. they were, maybe they gave the fullback the ball right. one or two times, but it's amazing yeah. how much the game has changed over. It really time. has. And, and this will probably surprise you know, some of the, the current generation, recent generations. But I grew up in Pittsburgh. Terry Bradshaw, four Super Bowls. Terry didn't become the absolute starter, Sean, until his fifth season. Mm. Five seasons. A guy that was as good as him and, you know, Hall of Famer, four Super Bowls. But that was the that was more the reality back then. That was the norm, not the exception, just like you just like you stated. Yeah, it's it's amazing how that works out. Uh, Cincinnati, a lot of memories. Bill, you and I were talking yeah. about a, a memory from a few years ago. Some yeah. wiseacre thought it'd be a good idea to have this march before a game uh, many, many yeah. years ago and yeah. uh, call it the Millen Man March and everything. And uh, yeah. that wiseacre sure made your life miserable. He didn't mean to, but he sure did make your life miserable for yeah. a couple of days. So yeah. I, I guess I can publicly apologize to you for that. Well, I was going to say, ever since then, I was always hoping I could I could co-host the radio show with him <laughs> so I could just speak my mind. <laughs> no, you know what? Floor is you yours. Know, that was, uh, that was a, a season for the ages, obviously. But the one thing that I've always felt, and, uh, and I'm sure you will understand and agree with it, um, the worst thing a team can have in a situation like that is, um, is apathy mm -hmm. is apathy. And when the fans don't care and to a, a different extent, the media um, has sort of written everything off, then you're in trouble. The fans in this market care, the fans back in 08, they cared. I, I remember um, back in the eighties, 87, 88, um, there was, there was, apathy approaching there really was and um i think those two years at the silverdome we averaged like thirty-seven thousand fans a game in an eighty thousand seat stadium um so it was it was bad and uh but then we 
drafted number 20 from Oklahoma State, Barry Sanders, and that slowly changed. But um, even in 08, just, you know, the passion of the fans. And again, anger, concern, we'll take that anytime over apathy. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. I, I Bill, you know, when I, I hear people and I hear this term all the time, yeah, lion free. And I got to be honest with you, I don't no. believe it. I, no, I, I, I don't I, I don't believe it because a lot of those people are still tweeting about the game or talking yeah. about the game. To me, lion free is exactly that. You're just done. That's it. I'm, yeah. I, I'm not talking yeah. about it. I, I didn't I didn't see it or anything. Right. This town loves its lions. I mean, the reason why yeah. we do this show, this is this is a football town. Contrary to what yeah. anybody else tells you, this is a football town. Right. It may not be your favorite sport. That's OK. But it's still a football town, yeah. and this town loves its Lions and have shown it generation after generation after generation. There's no question, and and you take that on the professional level to what we got with the Lions, and we are in some special times here, Sean, when it comes to Michigan and Michigan State. Ooh. I mean, both in the top ten rankings that came out today, holy, holy moly. I mean, it's setting up – I mean, it's already – by some accounts, been a very successful season, certainly for Michigan State, in which Coach, Coach Tucker's done there. Nobody could have foreseen what he has done. And in that that display on Saturday, you know, with, with Walker, who has come out of nowhere to be a Heisman, certainly a strong candidate, um, you know, I mean, he, he makes some moves. I'm not comparing him to Barry Sanders, but that shiftiness in the hole, he's not real tall, okay, He's not small. He's just not real tall. And, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I would say Barry can go two directions at one time. Kenneth Walker's pretty darn close to that. And and Peyton throwing a quarterback and Naylor. I mean, the yards they put up and just the way the team played and it is responding to Coach Tucker is extremely, ex, you know, extremely impressive. And then Michigan going to a very hostile, hostile place to pull out a win there. And no, I, I mean Nebraska in a way is probably feeling a lot like Lions fans have felt this year because they've had games come down to the wire and just haven't been able to get it done. And they're getting better. I, you know, I, much, yeah. so much was said about Scott Frost when he came there, and you yeah. know they they were victim of kind of shooting up at the mouth or anything. Yeah. This isn't a bad Nebraska team. That's no. just it's in my mind, Bill. You tell me if you agree. This is a Nebraska team that doesn't know how to win yet. You've seen right. them. In that yeah. position a few times this year against yeah. really good teams, just yeah. haven't been able to, cl- to close the deal out. Yeah, that and, and there's a lot to that. I mean, I worked for 11 coaches in my time with the Lions, and not one of them felt that the physical aspect of the game was more important than the mental aspect of the game. I mean, you, you'll see you'll see signs in, in coaching offices, the mental to the physical, 90 to 10, you know, 9 to 1. And so you have to learn You do. You have to learn how to win. And um, when you do, then it becomes at times a self-fulfilling prophecy. It really does. My uh, The first team I worked for was Washington. And the first year I was with Washington was Joe Gibbs's first year. And Joe Gibbs, Hall of Fame coach, I think he's the greatest NFL coach in our generation. I mean, what he did with different quarterbacks, you know, won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. Joe Gibbs, just he lost his first five games. He lost his first five games. And people were thinking, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. Well, 
the following year, they, they, they learned how to win that first year, finished five and three down the stretch. And the next year, we won the Super Bowl. Okay, that's a little extreme. But look at other coaches. Chuck Knoll won one game his first year. Bill Walsh won two games his first year. Jimmy Johnson won one game his first year. It's hard when you're changing a culture. Okay, and it's even harder, I think, now because of, you know, the instant gratification that everybody wants about everything, let alone football. Win now. Got to win now. Well, you do it the right way. And I, I shared this with a couple uh, coaches at the game in, um, in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago that I know. I, I saw them before the game, and uh, they're coaching with, with Jacksonville. And I said, I've always, I've always felt and always shared that it's not, it's not about winning one game necessarily. It's about building that program, that foundation, that mental belief to win the game, the game. Because that's what everybody's competing for is the game. But it takes time. You have to you do have to learn how to win. Absolutely. We are up against a break, but before we do, I want to echo your sentiments about Joe Gibbs. I, I feel the yeah. exact same. Joe Theismann, Doug Williams, Mark Rippon, right. and that ninety one team was one of the yeah. best teams I've ever seen uh, in my life. They oh my were gosh, yeah. phenomenal. I mean right. phenomenal team. I, so I, I guess we're in the uh Mutual admiration for yes. Joe Gibbs fan club yeah. there, no doubt about yeah. it. A little college football when we come back. He's Bill Keenis. I'm Sean Belegian. Thanks so much for joining us right here. It's Gridiron Wrap on 760 WJR. Now, on with a Gridiron Wrap on 760 WJR. Here's Sean Belegian and Bill Keenist. All right, it is a final out in L.A. The Chargers knock off the Browns 47-42. The Bears knock off the Raiders uh, 20 to nine. Uh, the Cowboys yeah. have opened up a 44 to 20 lead on the Giants. By the way, uh, of note in that game, the Giants had their starting yeah. quarterback, Daniel Jones, knocked out. Yeah. Their starting running back, Saquon Barkley, knocked out. Yeah. And uh, WR1, a guy by the name of Kenny Galladay, Ken, knocked yeah. out in that one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Bill, before we went yeah. to the break, uh, you, you brought up such a great point about Joe Gibbs. I, I, I yeah. want to echo your sentiments because. Yeah. You know, when, when you hear people talk about the greatest coach of all time, right. okay, Bill Belichick, obviously, is going to be mentioned. Yeah. He had Tom Brady, okay? Right. You, you hear people say Bill Walsh. He had Joe Montana, right. okay? You might throw Tom Landry's name in there. He had Roger Staubach, okay? Yeah. Here's yeah. a guy that took Joe Theismann, Doug right. Williams, who people forget was a backup quarterback that yep. year to Jay Schrader, right. and some guy named Mark Rippon. Yeah. And ended up winning three Super Bowls. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal coach in DC. It, 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 what Joe Gibbs, in my opinion, is was will ever be remembered as is the greatest sportsman, if that's a term we can use, of our generation, perhaps of the last fifty years. Because not only did he do things in the NFL that were unprecedented, no coach won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. The year that I was with the team and we won that first Super Bowl, we had over 30 free agents on the team. And Sean, free agents back then were different than they are today by definition. Free agents back then, it wasn't a situation where their contract was up and they were going to the highest bidder and, you know, some of the the ways things go along today. Um, Free agents back then were street free agents. These were guys on the street that could have gone anywhere. A totally different dynamic, but the thing that that I that our NASCAR fans and there's a lot of them in Michigan, obviously, 
would attest to, he may be one of the greatest NASCAR owners, which is effectively the head coach in, in that sport. I mean, he won five NASCAR titles, essentially five Super Bowls in NASCAR. So what it comes down to is what we were talking about before the break. It talks about the mental and the leadership. The leadership to lead, you know, 53 men on a Sunday, you know, to victory or, or a, a crew for a NASCAR race. And there's a lot of similarities between football and, and NASCAR, the teamwork, the pit crew, the timing, everything that goes into it. Um, but I, I would say w- with respect to Joe, I believe that he coached the greatest NFL game ever, ever, when it comes to defying the odds and pulling an upset. And I think we could be on these airwaves for the next week and uh, no one would guess the game. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Well, and it's ironic because I think it's it's it was this week. It was around the middle of October when it happened. Um, go back to the, the strike in 87. Mm-hmm. So the first weekend games were canceled. We, we were playing the Bears, and we had a sold-out Silverdome, but that game was canceled. So we only played 15 games that year. And then we had the replacement players. We talked about the game at Lambeau a couple of weeks ago yep. Yep. that looked full because the Packers had so many fans at that game. Well, the strike was ended, I think the strike was ended on a Wednesday night. The sides came together and decided to end the strike. Well, by that time, a lot of teams had had players cross the picket line because they were running out of money. They were on strike. They weren't getting paid. So the Lions, we had probably a half dozen players. Every team in the league had had veterans cross the line other than one team, Washington. You know, it wasn't a coincidence. It was by design because Joe and the GM, Bobby Bethard, felt they didn't want to cross-pollinate those rosters because there was tension. There could have been hard feelings, blah, blah, blah. So he made a, they made a point to keep the, 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 the regular team out until they could all come back and the strike team together. Well, the strike ended on a Wednesday night. And whether this is just coincidental or not, maybe there might be a little more to it. But the chairman, the the commissioner, Roselle, appointed Tech Schramm, the chairman of the ownership strike committee. Okay. And so they had to come back with a, you know, a plan for, allowing all the veteran players to come back. Some of these guys had been out for a month. You don't know what kind of shape they're in. you got to worry about the physical aspect of it, um, their conditioning, what have you. So Tech Shram instituted a, a, a rule, if you will, that no player could come back for that weekend's game, the final, the final weekend's game, if they hadn't been on the roster the day before. So the – Suspicion I had at the time is the final strike game that year was a Monday night game in Dallas, Washington at Dallas. Now, if if you look at the Cowboys that had already crossed the line and thus qualified to play in that game, you had Hall of Famers, Sean. You had Tony Dorsett. You had Randy White. You had Danny White. You had 11. They had 11 veterans, and I think eight of them were starters. Mm. They were starters. Washington, on the other hand, had zero. Washington's quarterback in that game was signed 
on a work release program from prison. That's how they got him to play. I mean, it was that, you know, you know, impossible, if you will. I don't even know if there was a, a line on the game because it would have been probably the highest line in history. Well, guess what? Knowing Joe Gibbs the way I did and do and, and knowing how he could get a team to believe and how important the mental aspect of every game was to him. I couldn't wait to watch that game. And you know what, John? Washington beat them. Yep. Washington beat them. I think it was 16 to 10, 13. It was a low-scoring game. I had tears rolling down my cheeks watching them carry him off the field after that game. And that just speaks to the importance of coaching, of leadership at every level, at every level. Um, and guess what? Washington won the Super Bowl that year. Those three strike games counted, and they won the Super Bowl. And that's why I think Joe um, is the greatest of, of certainly his generation, our generation. But to that's do that the way he yeah. did, it's it's remarkable. Yeah, that Bill. Bill, I, I again, boy, I I remember that Monday night game. Yeah, playing it. Ed Tutal Jones, Randy White, Tony yeah. Gorsett, yeah. Dan, yeah. Renfro. I mean, they, they had they had the Dallas yeah. Cowboys and yep. the strike players beat them. Uh, it's just absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's right. it's it's incredible. It's uh, you know, I for whatever reason I don't hear Joe Gibbs mentioned in that conversation right. and. Quite frankly, I think he should be mentioned yeah. in that conversation based on what he did in, in his career. Right. And uh, boy, you know, since he retired the first time, you're talking about a franchise that has just for 30 years, they've been trying to, to, to get have. it back, so yeah. to speak, Bill. It, yeah. it's, it's not easy to replace a legend like that. No, it really isn't. And what what he had, I mean, the, the, the NFC East in the 80s into the 90s, was remarkable. I mean, truly was with the Giants and Parcells, with the Cowboys, early with Tom Landry, late uh, with Jimmy Johnson. Um, it was, and of course, Joe, and it was, you know, on the on the edge of uh, Dick Vermeil's, you know, tenure with the Eagles, and he had taken them to a Super Bowl. But um, it seemed like every, every Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, Madden and Summerall were doing a game either in Washington, yep. in Dallas, or at the Meadowlands. And it was just, you know, must-see TV, if you will. But, uh, yeah, those were some classic times. And, and just the vision of the old RFK Stadium bouncing up and down. And I can attest to it. That was real. <laughs> you could feel that stadium shake, especially when they were playing one of those rivals from the, from the Eastern uh, Division. Boy, that, that first Super Bowl they went to, I, I still remember the, uh, yeah. the NFC Championship game. And they knocked yeah. Danny White out of the game. And I remember, I'll never forget watching it. And literally, you could see the stands moving. And it was yeah. it was disheartening yeah. sitting at home in Livonia, Michigan, watching right. it, for goodness sake. You're going, how the heck are those stands moving? Yeah. But, boy, they, they love their football yeah. there. That was, yeah. uh, boy, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, for me as a kid, 1 o'clock was always watching Billy. And at 4 o'clock, it just, I, I always think of Madden and Summerall, either down yeah. at Texas Stadium or, or at RFK for Dallas, Washington, occasionally they'd be the Monday night game, but, but boy, yeah. that's uh that's my childhood. You know, that that's yeah. that's what you did on the weekend. All yeah, right, one no more doubt. segment to go. He's Bill Keenis. I'm Sean Belegian. So glad you can join us on a Sunday evening. It is Gridiron Wrap right here on 760 WJR. Now on with a gridiron wrap on 760 WJR.
Here's Sean Belegian and Bill Keenest. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what was just a crazy Saturday in college football. Yeah. Uh, of course, Michigan State, nine in the coaches poll, 10 in the AP. Michigan, seven in the coaches poll, eight in the AP. Uh, top five, Georgia, Iowa, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Alabama in uh, both of the polls with Cincinnati and Oklahoma flip-flopping between the coaches poll and the AP. Uh, Desmond yeah. Ritter, Cincinnati are the real deal. Yep. No doubt about it. But, Bill, as you mentioned, those late games last night oh. were phenomenal. And, and yeah. listen, I I was beat. I had my own broadcast. I thought, oh, I'm going to go yeah. home and go to bed. <laughs> There's no way you're going to bed with that yeah. kind of football on. And I, I ended up uh, staying up and c- catching the end of not only the Michigan game, but certainly the end of the Alabama game as well. Incredible. And we, we were having some fun earlier with our uh... – Groundhog Day reference, but um, I'll uh, I'll try to channel our our inner Alex Trebek here, and um, the uh, the answer is Notre Dame, Penn State, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson in the middle of October. So, what's the question, Sean? Hmm. What is on the outside looking in? Well, what college major college programs have more losses? In Michigan and uh-huh. Michigan State. I mean, okay. when is the last time at this stage of the season, think about that, that we've even thought of that, that possibility, let alone it be a reality. I mean, all those programs have at least one loss. Clemson, I think, has a couple. And uh, here we got the Spartans and the Wolverines undefeated, heading for hopefully that dream matchup at the end of October. And I'll tell you what, you know what? They both have one game before that matchup yeah. up in East Lansing. Of course, uh, Michigan with a bye week this week, and then they yeah. take on Northwestern. Michigan State takes on Indiana, and yeah. they have their bye week. Bill, I did a little research myself. The last time both those teams were unbeaten when facing each other was 2010. That's wow. the last time they were both unbeaten wow. uh, when facing each other. So, uh, it, it could be a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, you know, there's still a game to be played. You know, Michigan State has to take care of business against Indiana. Yeah. Michigan has to take care of business against Northwestern. But, uh, yeah, October 9th, uh, 2010, uh, Michigan was 5-0. and Michigan State okay. was 5-0. and So it's, wow. it's, it's amazing, you know, when you think about it. And, you know, both teams are legitimate. I, I don't care yeah. what anybody says. You're 5-0. You're no. You beat who you, you know, you, you've beaten on the schedule and right. everything. Uh, right. It's fun right now. This is, this is, and quite frankly, as you said, it's not just unexpected for no. Michigan State, but I think there's a little bit of, wow, is this real even going in on, in, on, in Ann Arbor? Because some people yeah. thought that this might be Jim Harbaugh's swan song. Amazing. And um, you, you, you look at what he's doing there. Um, it's, it's a testament really to the belief that they have. And I think, and we talked about it when they started doing the jump around at Wisconsin and it was something about that team that the togetherness. And and I've sensed that with Michigan state, you know, going back, you know, practically to the start of the season and it goes back to the mental and the belief and the, the approach that these coaches have obviously. And then even the reaction of Aiden Hutchison after the game last night. I mean, you know, I'm not sure how old he is, 22, 23. I mean, just the pure jubilation and exhilaration. Um, it means a lot to these people. 
and uh, and and certainly as a state to have what we have going on in this state with uh, with college football is incredible. I mean, what other state? I mean, when we were young, it used to be UCLA, USC sometimes, but you know, interstate, uh, Pitt, Penn State for a few years in the eighties, in the seventies. But unless I'm missing something, uh, what we have going on here is pretty darn special. Yeah, you know, there's that little while in the 90s, Florida State, Miami, yes, that, that was campus true. television. Yeah. But uh, other than that, yeah. no, Bill, you're absolutely right. Uh, Cade McNamara said something last night that was spot on uh, in his postgame interview on the field. And, and, mm-hmm. and he said, hey, listen, I don't mean any disrespect, but the last few years, a game like this, we lose every single time. Yeah. And he's right. He's, yeah. you know, and I think Michigan yeah. fans, now that it's in the rearview mirror, Maybe right. they wouldn't admit that before, but now they're 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 probably yeah. sitting back saying, well, "He's right." You know that yeah. that was a game that we found yeah. a way to lose yeah. every time. But last night the shoe was on the other foot, and it was Nebraska's no turn to make that mistake. Yeah, I I think you're right about Michigan fans. It's almost like I'm afraid to believe what I think I'm seeing. Yeah, Michigan State on the other hand, it's like I don't know what to think. This yeah. is <laughs> this is unexpected. This is awesome, and now everybody's you know, pushing toward the top and, and, and that skepticism is becoming, okay, we can do it because we've done it and uh, we got to keep doing it. And, and knowing the coaches, uh, I don't know coach Tucker, but what I see and hear of him, um, they will make sure that they keep those guys in line. They're not going to get, they're not going to read the the headlines and and get, you know, inflated opinions of themselves. Um, Cause you can't get, that goes back to the mental. That goes back to the belief. And um, as as we talked about, you know, the, the games yesterday when Alabama can lose and, and uh, you know, Texas has a big lead against Oklahoma and loses. And Iowa comes from behind to beat Penn State. It's not over till it's over. Obviously, we learned that sadly again today um, in Minnesota. So sad. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely is. You, you know, I think it's good for college football as well, Bill, because I, I, I can tell you just amongst my friends, a lot of my friends yeah. have been down on college football the last few years because they, oh, oh, oh boy, let's wait for the yeah. final four. Oh, what a stunner. Clemson, yeah. Oklahoma, yeah. Ohio State, right. Alabama. And, and you know what? I, I don't – Clemson's not going to play themselves nope. back in with two losses. No. I'm not counting no. out Bama. I'm not counting out Ohio yeah. State. I'm not – you can't yeah. count out Oklahoma, obviously, but – Right now, here it is mid-October, yeah. and you know what? There is some new blood in there, and there are yep. teams that are in control of their own destiny yeah. right now. I think it's great for college football. Do you know how many new Texas A&M fans right. were created last night? <laughs> and it wasn't that they were rooting as much for Texas A&M. They just wanted Alabama to lose yep. to give everybody hope. Yep. Everybody has hope. Yep. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of what we experienced yesterday. Yeah, it and and I think that's that's a good thing for college football right Absolutely. now. It, it, it really is a good thing yeah. for college football. And even even seeing the, the the students and the fans storm the field, you know, obviously there's security issues and safety concerns. But what what our country's been through for the last year and a half, two years with everything, to be back at that and just to be able to do that, and you know, you get chills. I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And again, it goes back to what we've talked about. Sports is such a unifier at every level in every way. And yesterday, there was a lot of unity created by some of those games. 
Full disclosure, Bill, uh, that is a rush unlike anything else. I yeah. had the opportunity to uh, storm the field in 1987 when Michigan State beat Michigan wow. up in East wow. Lansing. Uh, and that, that is a rush. Like uh, you, I had a friend that was playing for Michigan wow. State at the time, local guy, yeah. and uh, that is a rush unlike any other rush. I'm Isn't that something? You. How many years later, Sean? Yeah. And that's what has you smiling yeah. and talking about. <laughs> That's You're talking bet. about the chills. It's real. Amen. Yep, it's, that's it's beautiful. absolutely real. Yeah. Hey, Bill, it is always a pleasure to chat with you. Yes, uh, we, you and I talk about this every week. It flies <laughs> by. Does. You know, it's, it's Wheeler, if you're listening, give us two hours, okay? We can, we can keep doing this all yeah. night. I want to thank our buddy Blake for uh, yes. being there and, and pressing all the right buttons at, here tonight. Uh, Bill, until next week, I hope you enjoy your week. And it's yes, always sir. a pleasure being with you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. All right. For Bill Keenest, I'm Sean Belegian. Blake, special shout out to you. Have yourselves a fantastic evening. We'll talk to you in the morning on the Paul W. Smith Show right here on 760 WJR. Good night, everybody.